I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John, go all the way back to the back of the uh, New Testament, and you'll find the book of Revelation. That's the last book of the Bible. And if you turn left and go about four blocks, Jude, 3 John, 2 John, come to 1 John, that's where you'll be with me, okay? So try to find that as I give a little bit of an introduction. For the next several weeks, really probably the next two or three months, you'll be hearing some messages out of this uh, five-chapter book. Uh, Daniel and I are having fun. Yes, it is. You may not believe that, and I would not have believed that uh, sermon preparation, it was years ago, it kind of was too much like term paper writing. <laughs> you know, I thought, oh man, who wants to write term papers every week for the rest of their life? But, uh, you know, things change, heart changes, and uh, values change, and the Bible changes, and in the sense that my perspective of it and understanding of it, and uh, this getting ready for standing before you and taking God's Word, and uh, doing more than just uh, taking, what, 30, maybe sometimes 40 minutes, but... Uh, more than this time that I interact with you, and I hope that's something of what it is, is an interaction here. It, it's the preparation time that's really the fun time. It's, it's, it's trying to take the written word and, and getting it in here and, and interacting with it and, and it becoming a part of, of my life so that I can stand before you and Daniel can stand before you on his Sundays that he preaches and share that word that God, I, we, we believe, has, has given to us. And so, in the next several Sundays, uh, this is going to be where we'll be focusing, First John. It's, it's a book of the Bible that really, if, you know, sometimes you get frustrated. You ever get frustrated about where to start reading the Bible and studying the Bible? And you might say, well, I'm going to read the Bible through, and you start at Genesis, and you get through Genesis and Exodus, and then you quit at Leviticus. You know, you just don't understand all that stuff, and you get discouraged. Well, let me make a suggestion. Start at the back, okay? Go, go to 1 John. It's just five, five little chapters. It's not so long. And, and just digest it. Digest it. Take it in. Read it more than once. And, and hopefully some of the things that I share with you today and I know the things that Daniel will share with you that we believe God is speaking to us will help you understand and apply and really get the message. You see, John, John actually writes five books in the New Testament. Well, let me, let me put it this way. The Holy Spirit inspires John to write five books in the New Testament. One of them, the first one that we have, probably the one that we're most familiar with, is the Gospel of John. That's what we refer to as the Gospel of Belief. And the reason it's referred to as the Gospel of Belief is because he comes to the very end of the Gospel of John in chapter 20, verse 30. And this is what he says. He said, these things that I've written here, all these 20 chapters, they've been written in order that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing in Him, you may have life in His name. 
When we come to 1 John, he concludes 1 John in chapter 5, verse 13. He makes a summary statement. It's one of these purpose statements. He helps us understand why all of this was written. And he tells us in verse 13, these things I've written to you who already believe, okay? Gospel of John, so that you might believe. 1 John, to those of us who do believe, in order that you may know, know certainty that you have eternal life. Hence, the series of messages that Daniel and I will be preaching from 1 John, the overarching title in one word, is assured. The sermon that I'm going to be preaching this morning from verses 1 through 4 is assured of the real life. Are you sure? Are you sure that you have the real life, the life that God created you to have? Or are you missing it? Are you going through life feeling like you're missing something? Well, we want to see if you've got the real thing, the genuine thing, the authentic life that God sent his son into this world so that you and I might experience. And so let's look at 1 John, just four verses, one through four. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also so that you two may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ these things we write so that our joy may be made complete did you catch what he had to say in the very first verse what was from the beginning what we have heard what we have seen with our eyes what we beheld what we looked at literally what we studied what we examined okay we, we looked at the evidence and we put it to the test, what we looked at, what we beheld, and our hands handled. And here it is. What? Concerning the word of life. I can't help but believe that there is certainly one thing that every single one of us here today has in common. And that you and I are concerned about life. Every single one of us is trying to figure out life. Well, in addition to that, I, as your pastor, have a, an additional concern for you. And my concern is that in your attending North Roanoke Baptist Church, you're being associated in some degree or another with this fellowship of believers. In my opening the Bible to you, not just this Sunday, but every single Sunday, my concern for you is that you have the real thing. My concern for you is that you don't get wrapped up in thinking that the life that God has for you is nothing more than coming to church one hour a week on a regular basis, kind of checking that box off, knowing that, well, I put in my time and listening to a sermon and singing a few songs, maybe even going to the point of being baptized, maybe going to the point of actually serving in some area of church, that you don't confuse that thinking that that is what all that God has in store for you. And so my concern is Jesus's concern in chapter 7, verse 21 of Matthew, when he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
Many will say to me on that day, judgment day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons? Look at all that they've done. And in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them. These are certainly words that none of us wants to hear when we come face to face with God on judgment day to hear Jesus say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I, I, I pray and my desire is that you won't say, after having sat under this sermon today with Pastor Darrell preaching, that you would come to that day, if it might be this afternoon, if you were to die unexpectedly, or whether it be 50 years from now or longer, that Jesus would say, yeah, he went to church, but I never knew him, and he really never knew me. Well, how can we really know? How can we really know? That's the reason for my sermon title today, Assured of the Real Life. And in order that we might, out of the text, really understand what God wants us to take away from here today about the real life, I want to put three questions to you under the authority of the Scripture so that you might know if you have the real thing or not. And so let's look at the first question. The first question is this. I want to ask you this morning. Is your life based on eternal, revealed, objective truth? Anybody want to raise their hand and give me an answer what all that means? No, you say, wow, well, I missed that, Pastor. <laughs> what is that all about? What is this revealed truth? What is this objective truth that you're talking about? Well, I, I want to help you understand what I'm talking about right here. Because that's exactly, that's exactly what John is writing about. All of us are trying to figure life out. Some of us go the philosophical route. Some of us want to go the cerebral intellectual route. Some of us want to go back and we want to study the ancient philosophers like Aristotle and, and Plato and Socrates and, and uh, maybe John Locke and maybe, maybe uh, Hume and maybe uh, some of these others, uh, Immanuel Kant and Nitzke and, 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 and some of these ancient philosophers and, and read what they're having to say. And most of us, if we've ever taken philosophy in school or any of that nature, we'd say, well, I might believe a little bit about what he says and maybe just a little bit over here. And I remember also what somebody else said one time. And so you're just kind of compiling and making up your own philosophy. Some people go through life looking for life and, and, and how to live life. And, and maybe they take this religious leader over here and maybe they take a little bit of this religious leader over here, and maybe they like a little bit of what this religious leader has to say over here, and oh yes, and I like what Jesus has to say most of the time, and I'll take a little bit of what he says over here, and I'll put it all together, and I'll work out my own philosophy about how I'm gonna live life. And then there are others that kind of go through life, and they, 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 they follow the, the the contemporary culture philosophers like Ellen and Oprah and Dr. Phil, and, and they say, oh, I like what Oprah has to say about this, and Ellen over here, and Dr. Phil over here, and, and I'm gonna live my life according to what they say, and, and, you, and you're just trying to put it all together and trying to figure life out. Well, John, John points us in the direction 
of Jesus. Jesus. If you want to experience real life, you go to Jesus. Why? Why do we need to go to Jesus? Why is this so critical? Why is this so important? It's because when you base your life on Jesus, you're basing your life on eternal, revealed, objective truth. What do I mean by eternal truth? Why is it so important that you and I base our lives on eternal truth? First of all, what he's telling us in these couple of verses here, just the first two verses, he's telling us that Jesus is the eternal one. Jesus just wasn't born on this particular day in 1526 or 1729 or whatever the case might be of any of these other ancient philosophers. He wasn't just born here. Jesus, he says, what was in the beginning? What was in the beginning? And what we proclaim to you is the eternal life. Jesus is eternal. He was in the beginning with the Father and, and, and he is eternal. And so when you put your life and you put your faith and you base your life on Jesus, you are basing your life on that which always was and always will be. This is John's first reference to Jesus' deity. Only God is eternal. And Jesus, in Jesus, we find eternal truth. We find God truth as distinguished from human truth. It is timeless truth. The issue is, will what you believe and base your life on, will it stand the test of time? I heard about a guy that was going through life and his philosophy was to be as successful as he possibly could be. And so he found his ladder of success and he climbed the ladder of success and he outclimbed everybody else around him. He got to the top of his ladder of success and at the end of his life, at the top of the ladder of success, he discovered a rude awakening that his ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And that's what happens. That's what happens when we base our life on anything less than eternal truth. Well, it also tells us not only is Jesus eternal truth, but it also tells us that Jesus is revealed truth. God revealed truth. He is the one that God manifested to us. In other words, this truth that we find in Jesus, this truth about real life is not a mystery. It's not hidden. It's not reserved for those only who are of the intellectual and cerebral elite. It is not the product of human effort trying to explain life. It is revealed, undeniable truth. As a matter of fact, in John chapter 9, there is a man who is blind. And Jesus encounters this man who is blind. And uh, he reaches down and he grabs some dirt in his hand and he spits in his hand and he forms some mud and he puts it on the blind man's eye and then he tells the blind man, I want you to go down to the pool of Siloam and I want you to wash your face. And he goes down there and he does exactly what Jesus, the eternal life, told him to do. And lo and behold, but the man who was born blind begins to see. And all the people began to see this guy. I thought this was the guy that was begging by the streets, wanting money. He was blind and he wanted us to help him. And now he's running around seeing, seeing that he can see again. And 
The next thing they want to know is, how did that happen? And then his parents discover that their son, who had been born blind, is now see. And the question that they put to him is, how did that happen? And then the next thing we find out that the religious leaders are finding out that somebody healed this man. And so they bring him to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees want to know, how did that happen? <laughs> and you know what the blind man said? He said, guys, I don't know how it happened. I can't explain it. But all I know is this. Once I was blind, and now I see. And what he's talking about there is that which is unexplainable. I can't explain how he did it, but it's an undeniable fact. Once I was blind, now I see. I saw, read an interesting illustration this week about a Yale physicist named Robert Adair who studied the science behind hitting a major league fastball and he published it in a book, The Physics of Baseball in 2002. And here's some of the things that he found. A 90 mile an hour fastball travels 60 and a half feet from the pitcher's hand to the catcher's mitt. Get this, 400 milliseconds. You got it? 400 milliseconds. Now it takes the batter 200 milliseconds to find the ball in the air, get the image in his brain, and to decide whether or not to swing. So nearly half the time the batter is in the process of making a decision. Now, if the batter decides to swing, then he spends the next 100 milliseconds deciding whether to swing high, low, inside, or outside. And so now you're down to 300 milliseconds before the batter ever swings. Now, the swing itself, Robert Adair says, takes 150 milliseconds. Also, Adair says that a seven millisecond variation will determine if the batter hits a foul ball or misses it altogether. So, 200 milliseconds locating the ball, 100 deciding, and 150 swinging. But the ball is in the catcher's hand after 400 milliseconds. So, the brilliant physicist Adair concludes, according to the laws of physics, that hitting a 90 mile an hour fastball is what? Impossible. <laughs> How many of you agree with that conclusion? Huh? Well, why? Can you prove him wrong with this or that particular calculation? No, but it's as simple as the fact that you have seen it happen. As a matter of fact, you have seen a batter hit a 95 mile an hour fastball. Here's the point. The undeniable takes precedence over the unexplainable. And so what we have here is the unexplainable. God in Jesus leaving heaven, coming down to earth, taking the form of a man, man who never sins, going to a cross, paying the penalty for sin so that you and I can have forgiveness of our sins so that Jesus' righteousness can be transferred to us so that our sin may be transferred to him and our debt be paid for and we experience a new birth in him. Folks, that is unexplainable. I can't explain it any deeper or better than that. But yet, it is undeniable. It's revealed, manifested truth that's undeniable facts in history. It's also objective truth, objective truth. 
the life, eternal life, that's with the Father, that was manifested, it was audible, it was visible, it was tangible, it was seen in Jesus. He who is, don't try to make him into somebody who isn't. There's an expression that I kind of get tired of hearing. And that is, it is, it is what it is. When we say it is what it is, what, what do we mean? We're just not going to change that. That's, that's what it is. It is what it is. And, and what, what this is saying, objective truth is, it is what it is. Jesus is who he is. Whether you agree or whether you don't agree. See, there's subjective truth or there's subjectiveness and there's objective truth. Subjectivity and objectivity. Subjectiveness would be, it's warm in here. Okay? Now, to me, it's warm. Okay? There's probably some of you <laughs> that are saying, no, Daryl, it is not warm in here. It is cold in here. And so when you start dealing with a, a, a temperature, that, a comfortable temperature, that is, that is subjective. But, but when it comes down to something that is objective, it doesn't mean if you agree with it or disagree with it, it's still true. Richmond is the capital of the state of Virginia. You may like it, you may not like it, but it really doesn't matter what you think or don't think. And so all of these people that go around and want to take religion and our relationship with God and put it into the category of subjectivity, it is what I wanted to make it out to be. They don't know anything at all about our faith and being based on objective truth, the truth that's found in Jesus Christ. And so the bottom line, John is saying to us, God is not whomever you want him to be, God is Jesus, and he manifested himself so that you might put your faith and trust in him. Who are you going to trust for life? Who are you going to trust for life? Are you going to trust yourself that you get to the point that you can figure it out? I don't care how well-read you are. I don't care how logical you are. You still have your human sinful flaws. And who is it that you're going to put your trust in? You're going to pick somebody else? and put your trust in them? You're gonna put your trust in what mama said or daddy said or grandpa said or grandma said? Or you're gonna put your trust in objective, manifested, eternal truth, Jesus Christ. When you put your truth there, when you put your faith and trust there, that's when you begin to experience real life. It's hard to explain, but it's undeniable. Second of all, the second question that I wanna to put to you this morning is this, and that is, is your life characterized by real fellowship with the Father, the Son, and other believers? Here's what he says in verse 3, what we have seen, what we've heard, we proclaim to you. We saw Jesus, we heard Jesus, we touched Jesus, we knew he was real, and we proclaim the life that you can have in Jesus when you put your faith and trust in him. Why? So that you too may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. If you don't hear anything else but this, the essence of the real life that God wants you to have, that God wants me to have, the essence of that is nothing less, nothing less than fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with other believers. 
It begins by placing your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ in the undeniable truth that Jesus is the Son of God who came to pay the penalty of your sin, to remove the barrier of your sin that separates you from God and others. But that is not the end unless it's the front end. It's really the beginning, and it initiates an ongoing, authentic, unexplainable reality, and that is fellowship with God. I, I, can't, I can't explain to you what it's like to sit down and to start my day with a cup of coffee and God's Word. And to sit down and you just get all quiet. You leave the cell phone somewhere else. And you sit down and you open up God's Word and you start to read 1 John. And you just begin to let it soak in. And the more you let, the th the more you let God's Word soak in, there's something that begins to take place. Once, once you're a believer and you put your faith and trust in Jesus, there's something that begins to take place and it's what we call fellowship with God. I can't explain to you what it was like for me this, this morning, sitting there early this morning at my desk with Bible in hand, thinking about this message and experiencing the presence of God. Many of you know what that's like, don't you? To have fellowship with God. That's what Christianity is all about. That's what the real thing is all about. I can't explain to you what it's like to, to, to come here with, with, with other believers, with you, and to sing songs like we just sang. And, and, and to give praise to the great I Am. And, and, and to sense His presence here. That's fellowship with God. And, and how, do you, how do you explain that? That is an unexplainable, undeniable truth that we experience in life that, that, that John is telling us about. And so that's what fellowship, I can't explain to you, I can't explain to you what it's like to go to several different countries that I've had the opportunity to go to over my lifetime. Back in 1980, I went to Russia. And at that time was, was, was the epitome of the Cold War between our nation and Russia. And I had the opportunity to go over there with the Baptist World Alliance and, and, and literally to preach in, in, uh, among other believers. And, and even though there was a language barrier that stood between us, as, as I preached to them, and there was a translator that, that, that translated the messages that I would preach, much like the sermon that I'm preaching this morning, and, and the people that are sitting there that are responding to it. And you can see that they're engaged in the message of God's Word. And here I am from America. I've been raised in a whole different culture. And here they are. They're responding to it. And after the sermon is over with, and as I'm greeting people, there's this little guy that comes up. You know, different cultures express their affection in different ways. And there's this little guy that comes up to me, and, and uh, he's kind of rough around the edges, you know. And, and he just, he reaches up, gets up on his tiptoes, and, and he plants a kiss on me. Right on my lips, man. Right on my lips. And, and, and I tell you, these people... We're, we're just there, there was a there was a, a, a bond that was there and and right now as I'm preaching here Hobe is over there in our sanctuary and he's preaching to Hispanic people and they've been raised in a different culture but there's a oneness there there's a fellowship there and yes there's barriers that 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 
keep us apart from, 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 uh, from language and so forth. But it, 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 there's a oneness in Christ. And that's what he's talking about here. Can I explain all that? No. But it's clearly undeniable. Clearly undeniable. And so that's what God has to offer. And, the fellow, and I don't know what coming to church means to you. I don't know if, if th this might be, <laughs> for some it might be the most miserable hour of your life. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I don't know what it took to, you know, to get you here. Come on, you're going to church. You know, I don't know where you are and all that. But I'm here to tell you, if you got the real life, if you got the real life, if you got the real thing, <laughs> mom and daddy can't keep you away from coming to church. And the kids can't keep you away from coming to church. Why? Why? I can't explain it all. But there, there's, there's a fellowship that we, we, we have fellowship with the Father. Think of that. Think of that. The fact that you and I can have fellowship with the Father and the Son. Now, how good is that? I mean, think, think of the intimacy and the unity that exists between the Father and the Son. And he's saying the fellowship that, that he's offering to us in real Christianity, when we put our faith and trust in Jesus and we're all in, he's bringing us into that fellowship. And, and I can't explain all that, but it's an undeniable truth to those who experience their real life. And I don't want you to leave here today. I don't want you to leave here today unless you've experienced that real life and fellowship with the Father and with the Son. And so there's another one, one more question that I want to put, I want to put before you, and that is, is your life characterized by real joy? Here's what he says. Now these things, isn't this interesting? <laughs> you know, for, for, for so many years, for so many years, even though I was raised in the church and, and had great role models in my life of my mother and my father and, and, and other people in the church, <laughs> I'll be honest, it just really wasn't the source of joy in my life, okay? There were other things that were what I thought was the source of joy in my life. But the problem was I didn't know Jesus, okay? I, I, I didn't have the real life. All I had was a routine. All I had was something I was kind of being forced to do. And I was missing it. And I was missing it. And here's what he says. He said, I'm writing these things to you. I'm writing these things to you about the fact that if you want to have life, you want to base it on something that's bigger than yourself. It's bigger than Socrates. It's bigger than Oprah. It's bigger than what's going on in our culture here today for this little window of time. This is big. This is something that was from eternity and goes into eternity. And, and so he says, he says, I want you to understand that. I want you to come into the fellowship with me. And, and here's what's, that's gonna, there's what's gonna happen. If this goes along with the real life, real joy, real joy. He said, I'm writing these things about fellowship with God. I'm writing these things to you about basing your life on Jesus and no one else, nothing else. I'm writing this, why? Watch this, so that our joy may be made what? Complete, complete. Real life, which is nothing less than real fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with other believers, produces produces real joy. The joy test <clears throat> is a legitimate test to find out if you have that which is real. 
Why? Why is the joy test a legitimate test? I'm going to give you four reasons. One of them is this. Because when it comes down to joy, it's hard to fake it. It's hard to fake it. I, 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 can, I can put on a show for you, and you can kind of go through life and say, oh man, that's just the happiest preacher I ever saw. <laughs> you know, that's just the happiest guy. You can come in through here and say, man, oh man, that guy, you know, this fella, he's, he's the happiest one. He's just always fun to be around. But I'll tell you what, when you go home, there's nobody else around. What have you got in your heart? Is it all a show? Or is it the real thing? So, it's hard to fake joy, not to other people, but it's hard to fake it to yourself. And so it's a good test to put yourself to the test. When you sit there today, can you say, I've got real joy down deep in my heart because that's Jesus down in my heart. Second reason, joy is the byproduct of something else. Now I know in our Constitution, what the preamble and so forth, it says that we all have the inalienable rights and so forth, and, and, and we have the right to, for the pursuit of what? Happiness. But I want to tell you something, all right? Take it from old Krim here. If you're in pursuit of happiness, you'll never find it. If that's what your pursuit is, if you're looking for happiness, if you're looking for joy, you'll never find joy looking for it. Joy is the byproduct of something else. For instance, in Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7, Jesus gives us his sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he starts it off, he says this way. He says, blessed or happy or joy-filled, joy-filled is the person, watch this, who is poor in spirit, bankrupt. Now, wait a minute, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, Daryl, when you get to the place in your life when you are just, your resources are spent. You, you, you give up, you're bankrupt, you've got nowhere else to go, you're broke, and you're broke in. You're ready to experience the best joy of your life. Because, I, I, can I explain that? Can I explain, can I explain to you how joyful it is to get to the place where you just say, God, God, I've had it. I've given up. I surrender my life to you. When you get there to that point, I'll tell you what, you'll get up with joy in your heart. That's, that's just an undeniable truth. Jesus also says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Where does the happiness come from? Where does the joy come from? When I wake up in the morning and I hunger for the Lord, and I spend time with the Lord, and we hunger for Him here. And that's how we, that's, that's how the, the, the joy of Jesus begins to, how, how our relationship with Jesus begins to produce this joy in our life. And so, it's so important. The joy test is a legitimate test. Because it's helping you know where you are, down deep inside. It's hard to fake it, that is to yourself. It's the byproduct of something else. And real joy is subterranean, subterranean. In other words, it's below the surface. It, it, it's, the, the psalmist puts it this way. The psalmist in Psalm, 50, in, in Psalm 46 says this way. He says, in spite of all these cataclysmic things that can take place in life, the mountains can fall into the depths of the sea. There can be earthquakes. There can be all kinds of stuff. And I don't know what kind of cataclysmic changes have taken place in your life. Okay? 
But he says, there is a river that makes glad the city of God. <laughs> what river is he talking about? He's talking about the river that somebody else can't see. It's subterranean. It's down deep in life. And when Jesus gets into your life, it doesn't make any difference what kind of difficulty you're going through, what kind of time of desperation you're going through, what kind of, what kind of problems you're going through. There's still, there's still a source of joy in your life. And then finally, real joy gets even better when you share it. Real joy gets even better when you share it. That's what, that's what he's saying. He said, I'm writing these things to you. I'm sharing these principles with you. Why? So that your joy might be made complete? Well, yes, that's true. But he's saying so that our joy might be made complete. In other words, I'm sharing this with you. And there's something about taking the principles and the truths of life and the things that God has shared with you and revealed to you and manifested to you. And when you take that and don't keep it to yourself, and you share it with somebody else, your joy goes to a whole nother level. For instance, for instance, those of us who are grandparents, okay? Those of us who are grandparents. You ever been around somebody, a grandparent? And what does that grandparent say? It doesn't take long, a new, a new grandparent, you get around a new grandparent, and what does the grandparent say? You get engaged in conversation with them for about two minutes, you know, and, 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 and then all of a sudden they say, oh, but by the way, did you hear what? My grandbaby was born this week. Yeah, then what? Here it comes, what? Let me show you pictures of my grandchild. And don't you see, you see the smile get all over their face? You see the joy? They're not keeping it to themselves, but it just goes to a whole other level. And here, here, you I don't have time for all of this, but let me just, let me just tell you quickly. The greatest joy in my life, other than the night that I was bankrupt in spirit, and I asked Christ to come into my life, you know the next greatest joy is when I have an opportunity not just to preach and share this stuff with you. I, I get excited about that in case you couldn't tell. I enjoy this. But the greatest joy is when I have an opportunity to sit down next to one of you and share Jesus with you and say to you, would you like right now to accept Jesus Christ into your life so that you can base your life on something other than yourself and base your life on the objective, eternal, manifested truth of Jesus Christ himself and experience the real life? Would you like to receive him right now? I remember the very first guy at the University of Georgia that I shared that with, a guy named Scott Leatherberry, and he bowed his head with tears in his eyes on the 10th floor of Russell Hall, and he bowed and he asked Christ to come into his life. And I called my parents at midnight on a Friday night to share my joy of being used by God to lead somebody else to Christ. That's, that's the joy that I'm speaking about. It's the joy of being able to take what God has taught you and just share it with somebody else. That's why John says, that's why John said, and these things I write to you, not only so that you can share the same joy that I have, but that our joy may be made complete. Well, today, in the spirit In the spirit of the Father, who wants fellowship with you, 
and the Spirit of the Son who wants fellowship with you. I invite you into fellowship with him. I invite you on the authority of God's word and who Jesus is, I invite you to enter into fellowship with him. And you say, Pastor Darrell, how does that happen? I, I, I've, I've taken the joy test, I've, I've, I've heard God speak to me, and I just really don't have the real thing. And I don't want to go another day without it. You pray a prayer that expresses the desire of your heart, and it becomes a holy moment in your life. It becomes a moment where through the grace of God and the Spirit of God, it comes into you. And you've, you're born of another seed. You're born of the Spirit. And you're born again. And there are those of you that don't want to go another day without that. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, what a privilege it is for me to offer these, these people, these that are here today, that are looking for the real life, to say something like this. It's not the words that matter. It's the attitude of the heart. But they say something like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. And Lord Jesus, I open the door of my heart to receive you as my Savior and my Lord. I want to thank you so much for dying on the cross. I can't explain it all. I don't understand it all. But God, is, it's, it's there. And, and I want to thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. God, I want to ask you to come in, take control of my life. I want you to sit on the throne of my life. Every single area of my life, I, I, I want to yield it to you. I come before you bankrupt in spirit. I give up and I give it to you. And Lord Jesus, I want you to make me the kind of person that you want me to be. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Our team is going to lead us in a song. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And as the Holy Spirit is welcome into your heart and into your life, there are those of you that want to move into the fellowship with us as believers and become a part of this church. I invite you to come and just say, Pastor Darrell, I want to be a member of this church. There are those of you that say, I prayed that prayer for the first time today. Don't sit there and leave here as a secret service Christian and let nobody else know about what you did. Come up here and tell me about it. Daniel will be standing here with me. Come and say, Pastor Darrell, today I prayed that prayer. Let it be known, not just to me, but to the Father, that you're not ashamed of him. Let's stand and sing, and you come. Let's...